The reason why it's good, it's so transparent is because there's actually a lot of other tokens coming. I mean, speculating here, right? So it seems like Margin will probably do one, Camino will probably do one, Tensor will probably do one, and maybe a few other teams. Like, I just basically assume anybody who has points will do a token at some point. And so it's good that people are kind of seeing what works. For example, I know that Jupiter was actually looking at some of the open source stuff that Jito built for their airdrop. And so now it's building on top of that. And so if we can kind of get this going, then we just keep improving the ecosystem more and more. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, you have me and Mert because there's a lot to talk about that's going on in the ecosystem. Mert, what's going on? Hey, man, how you doing? Doing pretty solid. We're having a lot of snow here in New York. It's our first snow day. It's actually, a, it broke the record. I think it's been 700 days in Central Park seeing one inch of snow. You guys getting covered in Toronto? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're, we're definitely, it's cold. I fell the other day, so that was fun. I heard Chicago isn't having it great either, so um, hopefully more time to stay in my dungeon and, and, and build <laughs> and actually have an excuse for it. Yeah, the cold weather is good for uh, crypto developers. Well, we haven't had a roundup in a while, actually. There's been a lot happening. I'm not going to go through a list of it. Probably the biggest one was the ETF announcement last week with Bitcoin's spot ETF. But today there was another big announcement with the Saga 2 being announced, or at least a pre-order of the Saga 2, which is funny. Just a few weeks ago, I remember Anatoly went on a podcast saying how few orders they actually had, just like a few thousand on the Saga. Um, and then obviously with the token pumps and the extra airdrops that you got as a holder, they're now completely sold out. I think that's 20,000 units. And now with this Saga 2, Solind has come out and already said that they're going to do an airdrop for the Saga 2. So Mert, you were mentioning before we started recording that you have a maybe an interesting insight on this. Yeah, so, well, I mean, I did tweet about it, so people can maybe look at that. But there's a few interesting parts about this announcement. The one that I found the most interesting was actually they kept calling it product and device and not phone. So maybe that's absolutely nothing in my tinfoil hat is just, you know, shining. But I thought that was interesting. And the interesting part here is, well, there, there are a few interesting parts, but there was, of course, some backlash because this is CT. And there were some fans, there were some, you know, people who don't believe in it, all natural. But um, the, the one thing I didn't like was people calling it a cash grab or like a grift. Because, so, like, here are the facts. So, so one, this is actually by Solana Labs, not Solana Foundation. And just to give you an idea, Solana Labs, Anatoly is the CEO of Solana Labs. So if you think Anatoly will do a grift or a cash grab, I don't think you've met the man. Okay. Um, and number two, people think this is a cash grab. And, you know, to think a hardware device is, is a cash grab is extremely silly. Because the margins on hardware devices are basically non-existent. Right. You don't really make money on these things, if at all. Right. Unless you're Apple, in which case, of course you do. But, you know, the reason why you see so many software startups succeed and, and do well, but basically never any hardware startups is because it's an impossible task. The margins are crazy. You're against monopolies, manufacturing, inventory management. Right. And talking about inventory management, the the one thing that people didn't like as is, is well, there's multiple, is that they're asking people to pre-order before finding out the specs or even like what it really is. And it's like, I empathize, right? Like, I, I think if, if you're the, obviously some people would like to know that beforehand and that's fine. Like if, if you're one of those people, just don't order it. <laughs> 
But on the other hand, if you have some resemblance of trust in Solana Labs in the community, that's you know, and you, it's it's obviously somewhat of a risky play, but maybe you want to take that risk because you saw the, how the last one played out, and now you're able to give the uh, the team a better idea of demand, so they can plan inventory and manufacturing better, and plan the whole thing better instead of just yoloing something to prod, right? Um, and I'm not sure how I feel about the business decision personally. I haven't thought about it that much. But I do like the fact that they're taking big swings towards pretty important problems, right? There are no good crypto mobile apps. I mean, there are not even really good any crypto apps. And so changing that seems to be a worthwhile endeavor. And as unlikely as this is to succeed, if we can get some network effects going with, you know, like the rooters of the world saying like airdrops and there's like a leaderboard, if that gets... If that increases the number of mobile devs in crypto or Solana by, you know, some multiple, let's say just 2x, that's pretty interesting because now you've increased the probability of there being a breakout mobile app that has to be built on Solana. So big business decision that most people would probably disagree with, but um, I think it's a bold, ambitious swing. I probably don't think it'll work. I hope it does, but I don't think it will work. But I just want to say that anybody who calls us a grift is an unserious person, right? Like if, if you are doubting the moral intentions of Anatoly and Solana Labs, that's just doesn't make sense to me. Couldn't agree more. And the good thing is the phone's going to work no matter what. So I know you're saying like it won't work. The What you really mean by that, like will there be enough demand to sell out the units and like will they want to do this again? But the point is like if you buy this, at least you have a working phone. Whereas you see people cheering for crypto products where it's like it's just a 3-3. Three, three, you're just going to hold it, hope it goes up. And like maybe that fails, but you get nothing out of it. At least you actually get a phone that works. They're not shipping out just some shit phone. So anyways, I think it's ridiculous for people that aren't actually rooting for this. Because like you said, I see this as a VC investment from Solana Labs. Unlikely to work out, but if it does, it could be really big. And I'm with you on mobile as well, because when you're um, using Phantom, they have a really cool browser feature where I can actually go to Jupyter directly through their wallet. And it's really cool. And that's where I do most of my trades. And that's on mobile. But for the most part, before that, I was doing everything through my laptop, which is just not how people actually behave today. You're almost always on your phone. So anyway, it's a pretty, pretty cool announcement that they had. I think the other recent announcement that is going to be huge for Solana is the Jupiter airdrop, the Jupe airdrop, which they've confirmed is going to be January 31st. The last big airdrop we had was Jito, which was in late December, which after that, Solana had an absolute run. Obviously not all because of Jito, but that did transfer a lot of attention to the ecosystem. I think the same thing is going to happen with Jupe. I think some investors will look at Jupe as an index token for Solana because in some ways Jupe is like the front door to Solana. It's the first thing that you do. They do the majority of transactions that go through Solana. And just like a high level detail, they're going to have four airdrops throughout the next, I don't know, year or two year. And this one's going to be 10% of supply. And this is about activity that happened before Breakpoint. So if you did anything with Jupiter since then, uh, you're not going to be part of this airdrop, but you will be for the three future airdrops that, that they have. I think one thing that's really cool is Meow, who's like the leader of Jupiter, has been super transparent about all this. There's been a lot of discussion. It's also caused like a lot of drama, and I'm sure it's given him headaches that he doesn't need. But he's done this because he wants it to be an experiment, not just for Jupiter, but for the whole crypto ecosystem. Because airdrops in general have probably been kind of a failure, either through you just get the wrong people that actually get the tokens, where it's all bots, etc. Um, so I'm curious, Mert, to see what you think about this airdrop just for the Solana ecosystem. And I also know Meow called out that he's been working with Helios on making sure that Solana or hopefully that Solana and just the networking can actually handle the traffic that he's expecting to come through these claims. 
so yeah, the airdrop itself is, of course, a big event, perhaps the biggest in Solana's history in terms of eyes on the chain and how many people from other ecosystems it could draw back to the chain because most people have used Jupiter that have used Solana. It's a pretty direct correlation, I would say. And yeah, it, the, the way he's approaching it is, is super cool. He's writing a lot about it, which I'm a big fan of. He's describing the process. He's showing other founders what to expect in a sense, what his thought process is. People can kind of take notes, compare what worked, what didn't work. And I think it's a very admirable way of going about it. I, I like the way he's done it. It's much easier to be a random DGen and just chirp anything he does. I mean, that's just kind of the nature of this app and ecosystem and just humanity in general, in a sense. But um, yeah, I won't get too philosophical, but, <laughs> you know, as a founder, it's important you tune those people out. There's, mm -hmm. there's, there's, of course, some good feedback. It's not that you should discard all of it, but um, you have to have a good filter mechanism for what, uh, where people are coming from. And if they actually mean, if they're coming from a place where they're actually trying to help you and, and the project itself, whereas instead of just uh, profit maxing and not giving a shit about anything else. The reason why it's good, it's so transparent is because there's actually a lot of other tokens coming as well. So there's, I mean, if, you know, speculating here, right? Uh, it seems like Margin will probably do one. Camino will probably do one. Tensor will probably do one. And maybe a few other teams. Like, I just basically assume anybody who has points will do a token at some point. And so it's good that people are kind of seeing what works. Um, for example, I know that Jupiter was actually looking at some of the open source stuff that Jito built for their airdrop. And so now it's building on top of that. And so if we can kind of get this going, then we just keep improving the ecosystem more and more. So that's, that's cool. Now, then there's the other part of this, which is the network. Okay. And they did want to do the airdrop a bit earlier, I believe Jupiter did. And I basically said, please do not do it early. <laughs> please let's let the uh, network upgrades go live which I don't think totally actually agreed with, but I think it's still better to be safer. And, you know, to understand this, you, you kind of have to have some background knowledge here. And so there's actually some problems with the network. They're all fixable problems and they all have pretty solid paths to resolution, but they are there right now. And at a high level, the problems are something like the following. Okay, so there's a lot of, obviously new activity on chain specifically there's a lot of meme coins and inscriptions and weird activity like that on chain and what that leads to generally is more transactions being spammed by bots and when that happens and your economic incentives for bots aren't properly designed what that leads to is the blocks either fill up or overwhelm the validators or some other negative effects. There's, there's a few here such that now user transactions start suffering. So that maybe the probability of you landing a transaction is not as high as it was. And there are some fixes for this. Obviously adding a fee helps, um, what people might not know. And we talked about this with Eugene in a, in a pre previous episode, these, the transaction fees aren't fully deterministic. Which is to say, if you do pay with a transaction fee, it is not guaranteed that it will land in that block right away. Okay. Now it will land most likely in the next slot or maybe the slot after because the transactions keep getting forwarded and forwarded. 
But if everybody's doing this, then it's possible that it still doesn't make it in. And so the overall probability is lower. Now, there are fixes coming for this, but that is currently the case. Um, and so that is to say, I think probably what will happen is the chain won't like break or anything. I think the chain is in a good enough state such that a much higher load won't break it. The effect that it will have most likely is that the user experience will suffer. Some people will be able to get transactions in ASAP, some people not. It's just going to be kind of like a standing in line to get to the store, which obviously isn't great, but it's better than before. And there's also other fixes coming to make sure it obviously gets much better than that. And there's some smart ways to get around this. And we're talking with Jupyter around how to implement those. You know, maybe you do a claim process instead, and um, maybe you make the liquidity unlock in such a fashion to not be bottable, et cetera. So there's, there's some interesting things here. And so they're actually using the the meme coins or the the thin out of air tokens, let's say, uh, for load testing the network, which is actually a pretty smart idea. I actually really like that. Obviously, users kind of have this thing where it's like, well, you're going to dilute the supply or something. And it's like, no, 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 <laughs> like these are not, there's not that. Anyway, so it should be fun. I don't think the network will break. I do think the user experience will suffer, which is why I've been asking well, actually, I'm not even asking anymore. I've been yelling at everybody to consider how they architected their systems, right? In, in, a, in a bear market, the block space is abundant. And so you can just send transactions, not worry about anything, and it just lands. But now, maybe you're competing against some other resource or player, and you have to get smart about this. You can't just assume everything will work in all cases. You have to add some fault tolerance to your systems. You have to add a fee strategy. Um, so you actually I actually have to think a little bit. And generally what people just do is blame the RPC, which which is which is fine. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, blame you guys for everything. I, I think this is important to talk about because w when you talk about Solana and we talk about how it's optimized, performant, you have local fee markets and all these things, they don't understand that everything's not at an end state yet. Like even look at Arbitrum, they have a single signature and that even went down like a month ago, right? This is, these are very complex systems and the traffic, this isn't just users claiming tokens. So you're going to have airdrop holders claiming tokens, but they're going to have a liquidity pool for the Jupe token. And it's going to be bots hitting that pool, right? To, to try to arb a profit. And these numbers might be outdated, but I think on Solana overall right now, it's around like 50% of compute units, which is essentially the gas for the blocks are failed transactions. And that's really coming from bots and spam. Um, and then even of the arbitrage transactions, I think 98% of those fail. So it's just like good numbers to remember. A lot of this is going to be solved and what Mert is talking about with these upgrades that are coming. Then also you have things like Cheeto, which are getting um, adopted at a rapid rate. Actually, I saw today, I think Cheeto is about to cross the 50% mark on the amount of Solana stake that's using the Cheeto client, which is pretty cool. They've only been live for 18 months. I feel like Cheeto is an absolute animal. So anyways, yeah, I'm pretty pumped about the Jupe airdrop. I think it's going to bring a lot more attention to Solana. I actually just love Jupiter as a product. Oh, one really cool thing that Meow said, and I think this is good to say up front, he's like, I promise for at least two years, we're not going to have any type of revenue share with this token, right? Just like on Uniswap, everybody's like, turn on the protocol revenue share. He's like, that's just not going to happen. That's detrimental to value accrual. Any startup should not be giving out profits at the beginning. Their job is to make Jupiter the best protocol possible. Right now, they don't even charge for uh, aggregation swaps. So when you use the aggregator and Meow's 
said that they're never going to charge anything. It's kind of like Google search, right? Like me and you, you can use Google for free. It's always free, but you use that to sell other products. So like Jupiter right now does charge fees on DCAs. They charge on limit orders and also perps and Jupiter is going to have things. I think it's called Jupiter launch. It's like a launch pad for new projects coming through. Essentially, Jupiter is competing to almost be like the aggregation layer of Solana. And I think they're really doing it right. And Mert, you mm -hmm. missed this conversation with the podcast that came out today, but we had Ryan Watkins and Wilson come on from Syncrasy Capital. And I know you know those guys, um, but I thought they had an interesting point that we kind of got into. And it's you're seeing verticalization within Ethereum DeFi in the sense that everything was money Legos at the beginning. Like we're just going to be a lending protocol. And now it's for a lending protocol. And now we have swaps. Now we have a stable coin and they're almost building a business. It's not so much a protocol. Whereas on Solana, you're already seeing that today with Jito, who is kind of like Lido with Flashbots combined. And now they have StankNet, which is really cool, but that could potentially get involved in restaking. Not a huge fan of restaking, but who knows? Uh, then you have Jupiter, which is already the aggregator, which you don't have this type of aggregator on Ethereum. You do, but they're not successful. And it also mm -hmm. has perps. And now it's building out this launch pad and they're almost becoming like a Stripe. Like they want to have an Atlas product and so forth. So it's interesting to see on Solana, you're already having these products actually like build out a business unit, which I think some people might say is not great for decentralization. Um, I think that's probably a bad take because it's how it's built out. But I think it's cool that you can actually build that on Solana. I think the thing is everyone wants to do that on Ethereum. It's just the high gas fees alone make it where you can't really have that type of composability. Have you have you noticed that? Yeah, um, a few things there. First, I'm going to go way back to uh, the, the comment you made about failed transactions just for the sake of the audience. What, one thing to note about failed transactions on Solana is they're actually still successfully landed transactions on chain. It's just the business logic might dictate such that the transaction doesn't execute once it's landed. For example, like if the slippage is too high, you don't want the trans transaction to go through. Um, and that still lands on chain, like it still computes for the same resources. And it's not like there's some consensus problem or anything. It's literally just application logic. So a lot of trolls on CT get this wrong. So I want to make sure it's it's uh, not taken out of context. Nice. As for the, the verticalization and composability, I think there's a few factors that contribute to it, right? I think one is that on a chain where you know you can stay on and you won't have to migrate off of in the future due to some performance issues or cost issues, you can spread your roots out more and more without worrying about bizarre scaling dilemmas, right? On Ethereum, that's kind of hard. Like if, if it was two years ago, that'd be pretty hard to do because you're like, wait a minute, can I really do this here? Or do I wait for the other solutions to come out and test them out? And whereas on Solana, it's like, no, 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 we know this is going to work. We're going to help make it work. And as a result, we can kind of start integrating vertically. And then obviously the on-chain atomic composability and whatnot does help with building product, which has tighter integration uh, loops than not, right? In fact, my thesis with Helios was exactly that, which is to say, you know, most of the RPC providers that actually, I think all of them, what, what they did was they kind of added nodes and then they would go across different chains. So like maybe they had support for Ethereum and then all the EVM clones and then all the other chains. But then I was like, okay, wait a minute. Like if you do that, you're not going to be able to give the best experience possible for every single chain. That's not possible because... First of all, they're all iterating. They all have different culture and they all have different architectures. Okay, so it's not possible. And so what you do, or I, what, what I think makes much more sense is you vertically integrate within the same chain, right? Because now you have, let's say you have an RPC product at the very bottom, but then you can easily tie that into an API product with an SDK product with webhooks, with education, 
and then maybe even different business lines, right? And maybe the overall theme here is since you don't have to worry about composability and scalability on Solana, you can actually focus much more on business. And business ultimately is the ultimate bottleneck in crypto currently, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody is like, oh, that app is not decentralized enough, shut it down, right? Like that's not, decentralization is, a, is something that happens over time, uh, especially if you have PMF, then it makes sense to decentralize, right? But if you're completely useless and nobody's using you, like why are you decentralizing, right? It's like, what are you decentralizing? There's nothing, there's nothing there. You know, one thing that we often ask people that come on the show is if they're DeFi builders, how do you think about go to market? And part of that is what chain you're going to launch on. And obviously we mostly talk to Solana founders. So they're on Solana. We haven't really talked to many that are thinking about launching anywhere else. And I think that makes sense. It's a lot of effort and resources that would have to go into that. And you're also making a bet on that chain. Like it's a big bet to do that. We've heard Marius talk about that. And like he believes in tribalism because it is so important where you build. I'm curious though, like how you think about that as an RPC provider, because what we've seen, actually, I think this was a month ago or over the last few weeks, Sweeland, <laughs> which is Solind, um, which is an OG DeFi protocol on Solana. We've, we had them on the show. They're going to be launching on Sui. And I have seen a little bit of a Sui narrative been picked up these last few weeks. A lot of that has to do with Move. Ruder from Solind actually tweeted out that the developer experience to him, at least, is subjective. It's 10 times better than the Rust experience. So I'm curious what you think. Like, What would make you have the conviction to provide services for something like Sui? And also, have you kind of seen that narrative pick up as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, developer experiences, ultimately, experiences are all subjective. And like Ruder said, it was a better experience, but like actually some, one of the engineers on his team said 10x is probably a stretch. Maybe it's like 2 to 4x, right? And so, and then some other guys were like, actually, it's not an improvement at all. And so there's developers are all very strongly opinionated folks. Uh, they are all my customers. And so I've gotten to know them. Um, but so it, it just depends. And now the question is, okay, what would make me, or let's say Helios, consider building on Sui or maybe Aptos or some other L1? And I mean, so my criteria is relatively simple. M most teams in crypto, from what I've seen, move chains because they want grants, right? They want some new financial injection, or they haven't had much success on chain X. Now they want to try chain Y. And in rare cases, they have found PMF on one chain and they simply want to get more users, right? I haven't seen that happen that much, but it does happen. Um, maybe Phantom is a good example of this, where like they were absolutely very successful on Solana, but now they also wanted to get a bigger piece of the global pie as well, and maybe grow it as well, right? So I think it makes sense uh, in certain cases. Um, the the criteria would be for me uh, one: you ideally want to see an ecosystem that is not living off of grants. Like if you remove the grant program from the ecosystem, does it still work? Okay, if it works then that's, there's a market there. If it doesn't, then you're taking a massive risk, which might be fine if you actually have a sound thesis for why you think the grants will be removed later on. Um, and so that brings us to what that thesis must be, right? So for me, it, it looks like a few things. So one, first of all, I need to see that work under nonlinear stressors. So one, one thing that I don't like about these L1s or L2s is that they do these very controlled incentivized tests and say like we did like a gazillion TPS and it's like, okay, the actual stressor is unpredictable happening to you, not things you literally control uh, throughout the entire process, 
like you can see this because they'll like do like very high TPS and the chart goes up and then it comes right back down. And it's like, no, 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 that's not a, that's not enough. Okay. That's marketing. Um, a nonlinear stressor would be like FTX going down. Okay. That's a nonlinear stressor because for, for a chain to survive that you need to have multiple pieces like community sound ecosystem teams willing to actually pick up the burden and work on it still, as well as a core team that's still incentivized because they didn't get rich too early and, or something like that, right? They have actually have skin in the game. There is something to be said about first mover advantages, right? Like it's not, it's not trivial. Like Ethereum, for example, it would make no sense for Solana to take on Ethereum when it launched and just be another EVM clone with some different consensus choices and still have the success that it does, right? Solana started with Rust, which, you know, it is a hard language. SVM development is hard. Um, it's getting better, but it's hard. But it's still, it's orthogonal enough, right? If you think of like three dimensions, you have three perpendicular lines. You, you need to you need to have that because otherwise you're not different enough. And if you're not different enough, then people are just going to go with what's safer. And so if you think about it as like Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, now you need something radically different than either of those things. And it doesn't mean it has to be better, it has to be different. Um, I do not think that any of the L1s are that much better than Solana, if at all. I think you could make the case that um, Move is a better language than Rust for smart contracts. And I think you could reasonably make that argument. I don't think everybody would agree because Rust is universally ranked as the number one most loved language by developers all over. Okay. And Move is also good, but it hasn't been around for that long. Like we don't know exactly what happens over X period of years. Like, does it hold up? Are there some issues that arise as you get more varied usage, right? It, like one of the things that I really don't like about these L1s uh, or, or L2s is like, they get like very predictable traffic from like one or two DeFi apps in an Oracle. It's like, okay, once you start getting like degenerate people doing inscriptions and weird NFT mints and like all sorts of different use cases, and you have this clusterfuck of like use cases on the same L1, then we can talk because that's when the problems actually happen. Um, anyway, but like, I think, you know, for in, in the case of Solend, I don't think it's a bad move. I think if they think it'll help their business, um, I, th I think they should go for it. My skepticism is mostly from when you're building two completely separate architectures. And if something happens that's bad on one architecture, how do you split your resources and not focus without being squished by other companies that only have focus on that single chain, right? It's just like a weird resource allocation problem for me. It makes me think of even Jupiter a little bit in the sense that the reason why Meow is saying that they're not going to do token revenue shares is because it's just too early. And I think for most of these DeFi protocols, it's too early to even think about going to another chain, like figure out, like you say, like we don't really have products that people want, like build a product people want. This isn't like a shout out to Solin, but uh, until you have that, it doesn't matter where you build because people are basically all the same. The only, th only difference is maybe it's like new speculative capital that's saying, oh, there's a new token here. Maybe it'll go up and you chase that around. Um, that is one interesting thing about Solana is you would think that mint coins, which have had a pretty good outing the last few months, will do even better than most chains just because it's all on one chain. It's a global state, right? And the fees are so cheap. So to me, I didn't trade meme coins at all and now I have a problem. 
So, and that's all, that's all because of Solana, Phantom, and Jupiter. So uh, hopefully those do well for me over the next few months. Um, Quick break to tell you about an upcoming event I promise you don't want to miss. It's BlockWorks' biggest and best institutional conference called DAS London. It's a two-day event happening in London this March. Where we're going to have over 700 institutions, 130 speakers, and a couple thousand of us all under one roof. Crypto is in a position for the first time to actually onboard these institutions, and they're showing up. We have companies from BlackRock to Visa launching real products in the space. We have the real-world asset narrative taking off. We have things like payments that have been exponentially growing. And then we have things like Deepin happening in the Solana ecosystem. There's a ton of capital right now in this institutional space. It's going to be coming on chain. It's going to completely change the industry. Whether you are an institution or you're a retail user or you just want to learn more about what's going on in the space, this conference is for you. You're going to be able to meet some of the best and smartest people in the space. The speaker lineup is absolutely incredible. And you'll get to hang out with me. But the best part is you actually get 10% off your ticket if you use Lightspeed 10 when checking out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend buying this today because one, you'll forget about it. Two, these ticket prices go up every single month so anyways i hope to see you there now let's get back to the show i was talking to the guys this morning probably shouldn't bring this up but it, it's my hot take <laughs> and uh I, I don't have strong conviction on this i do think in the long run most applications are going to want their own, their own app chain like they're just going to want their own infrastructure that they can control not everything but the majority of it especially if they're successful i think that even with that, because Solana's whole thing is you can build whatever you want here, right? It's like one global state, get the advantages of composability. I think that's true and it's going to hold up for a long time. And then people are going to be like, oh, the app chain thesis is back in style. And it's like, no, it never went out. Like everybody wants their own app chain, right? Like it, it makes sense if it was easy, if it was easy. The problem is you try it and it usually fails. But I just think base layers like Solana and Ethereum will always have value in, in that case. And it made me think because Jay from Say, Jay Jog, tweets out a lot about how he thinks validator sets are basically overemphasized and that you don't need a massive decentralized validator set, aka like Solana has 2000 nodes. Like, is that really something you need? Does Ethereum need, you know, all these home stakers? I don't really know. I think most use cases probably don't. He says that he thinks 36 geographically distributed validators is enough to have censorship resistance and neutrality. I see you shaking your head there. I think it's enough for some use cases. I think it's enough if you have a game that you want to play and you just want to put in $40 and you kind of just trust that ecosystem. Like, hey, if you rug my $40, you use your reputation. I don't lose all my money. You're still going to want the majority of your funds in a safer location. And I think that's what Ethereum has to some extent, even though they can't scale on the base layer. So it's a problem. Uh, that's definitely what Solana has. So. To me, it's like if you're on Solana, you're going to have some core applications that live on the base layer. And maybe those are like high value applications I'm just thinking about in the future. But if you want to go play on these games, I want their customized block space and they want their app chains like a lot of people will. You just send up 100 bucks, 200 bucks, whatever you want. You go play around with it. And if you lose it, fine. But in that case, I still think Solana has a massive future there over something like an app chain. And the analogy that I give, and I'm terrible with analogies, Mark, because I know I just talk about Web2 <laughs> since I'm not a developer. It's just that's exactly what Amazon has done in the sense that they built an extremely successful product with AWS and they outsourced it to other companies, right? Like you can use AWS, but they dogfed it themselves. Um, they also built an amazing freight and delivery network, right? That They built that for themselves. This is me thinking about Solana, like stress testing the infrastructure and making a really, really freaking good product. But now like Shopify, for example, they've partnered with them and Shopify is kind of like an app chain. And now you can check out with Prime if you hit certain criteria. They're almost like outsourcing some of this value that they've built. And I think Solana will always have a future there. And so we'll maybe like Ethereum, but... um. Anyway, so I know that was a bit random, but that's just my my thought process there. Yeah. Well, I certainly agree with if an application gets sufficiently successful over time, it probably will tend to look more and more like uh, it'll definitely look to build its own app chain. That's what I would do, assuming your app doesn't actually need global state. Um, 
the validator thing is, in my view, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's false. Like, like this actually goes back to what, what I was just saying like ten minutes ago, which is you can't just be a little different. Like you have to be very different. Otherwise, why? Why? Okay, so for example, if you are a bank manager in I don't know Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley Bank, and you're debating putting stuff on the blockchain or something, okay, now you you have two options. One is thirty six validators, um, which is actually probably less than Swift Network itself, right? Swift Network is actually kind of a blockchain in the sense that you have a lot of these entities, it's obviously permissioned. Or do you have something that's just beyond reasonable doubt, obviously decentralized and secure, right? Um, which is say like 5,000 nodes or something, right? So that's a completely different equation. That completely affects my business decision. If I'm a bank, I feel much more secure with 5,000 validators geographically spread versus 36 with JP Morgan probably just buy them all at the same time and just, you know, uh, do something that I don't like. And then like... It's like, okay, then the question is, is there a case in which some use cases benefit more from 36 validators than a lot of other validators? And um, probably, but I think in that case, you should probably just use an L2 because you've already shown you don't really care that much about that part of it. And at least you do have, if the L2 is actually properly, some security guarantees from the Ethereum uh, base layer. And so that's that would be my high level thinking. Otherwise, like it's just a slightly shittier version of Web2 where it's not as fast, but it's also not even that much more secure in any way. Um, so I don't like that. I do see these networks kind of brag about um, performance numbers, but it's like, okay, if you have 36 validators on Solana, the, the best performing 36 validators on Solana, you wouldn't even believe what the performance numbers would be. Okay. The, the reason why performance is hard is because you have to do it while remaining decentralized and secure. And that requires, at least on some brute force or, or naive way of looking at it, number of full nodes, because you just, you, there's a lot of these systems uh, rely on honest assumptions, like one out of N assumptions. And the bigger the number of N is, the probability of something bad happening and nobody detecting it is gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? And so it's super important that people are able to run nodes if they want, okay? Um, I don't think anybody should be able to run a node just because they have some weird knack for it or desire for it. But if they want to do it, then the incentive should be right enough that it makes sense for them to do it. Um, so that's just a small shot at people who think you should run nodes on Raspberry Pis. <laughs> I'm so glad you say that because I completely agree. I, I mean, I think there is a use case for having a smaller validator set, whatever smaller means. But the thing is, like you said, you have to differentiate. It's similar in some ways to when you had Ethereum, then you had all these EVM forks. Those are not differentiated. Those are commoditized, and most of them did not do well. And I actually think that's one reason why Solana was able to build the community and the developer ecosystem that it had, because it did completely differentiate. It's like, oh, we're not doing this. I don't know if they had the modular roadmap back then. It's like, we're going to have a global scale L1 that's going to scale up with hardware and bandwidth. And it, even choosing Rust, like you said, Rust is a more difficult language. But because of that, you bring in developers that were actually not mercenaries, and they stayed there. And they said, like, I want to build something really cool here. So. I think that differentiation is really big. I think something worth noting, just because this is really cool, coming out from the Solana Foundation, they're trying to get more and more validators. I think Solana has about 2,000 active validators today, but there's this Solana Foundation delegation program 
essentially what they're trying to do is help new validators upstart. So what they're going to do is they're going to pay 100% of the voting fees uh, for these new validators for the first three months. And that kind of winds down over a year period. So they're going to pay 100%, 75%, 50%, and so on. And then they're also going to match outside stake. So if you're a new Solana validator, and let's just say you've gotten 100,000 soul, they're going to actually match that soul and give you another 100,000 soul. And they will match it up to 100,000. So if you then attract 200,000 soul, they'll still only give you 100,000. And there's also just going to be a general base amount of soul that they give to all validators in this program. And I think it's really cool because one of the issues that I've seen tossed around on Twitter is that you have the Solana Foundation doing a delegation program. You're giving it to validators. Not all of them are hitting... Maybe it's the resource requirements or they're, you know, some of the blocks are being skipped, or maybe it doesn't look like they're actually trying to attract new stake and they're just really kind of weaning off the Solana Foundation. Um, whereas instead, this is actually an effort to incentivize these new validators and also kind of wind down and give them an incentive to attract new stakes. You know, you see a lot of people complain about the foundations of, of blockchains and the Solana Foundation is, I know, by no means perfect like anything, but I think it's really cool to see these use cases and they're actually being active on things that really matter. Yeah, I think it's a good play. And... This is a big topic, but people seem to think that foundation giving delegations for bootstrapping new values is like this bad centralization vector or something, but that's like pretty fundamentally flawed in, in many ways, because first of all, the rewards are relative based on stake, not absolute. So assuming Solana Foundation pulled everything, assuming the distribution of uh, weights stay the same, which if they drew it equally from everything else, if you balance that out, it would be the exact same thing. Okay. Um, they are useful for going from zero to one, right? Starting creating new values where there were none. But like, if you think about it, that's kind of the entire point of a coin. <laughs> like that is kind of the entire existence for these uh, tokens to exist. Okay. It, it is to literally bootstrap new networks. And obviously a network means you need nodes and then you need links between these nodes. And obviously over time, the need for bootstrapping goes down more and more as the network matures. That's just how you build a network. Okay. That's, that's just how you do it. Um, and so I think it's a good approach. I think certainly, you know, all foundations have their problems. I think Solana Foundation is, is quite good, all things considered. Um, and I have seen them be less and less active over time, which is actually a good thing, uh, because that means the community is taking over most other things and. You know, I think in the ideal state in like two to five years, the Solana Foundation is just barely even an important player anymore in, in the ecosystem. And um, for that to happen, of course, you need ecosystem teams and community members to step up. And I think we're getting there um, pretty rapidly, actually, I would say. Uh, and you can probably see this with the amount of disagreements you get from uh, community members about what Solana Foundation is doing, which is actually a good thing, in my view. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I think what's really cool that you see in the Solana ecosystem is you have all this new research, these documents coming out, which is a huge part of all of this, right? It's like research behind what are these upgrades we need to make. It's also building like a community of researchers, which I think is really important because you're bringing in talent, like talent wants to be surrounded by other talent, right? And we've heard that from multiple founders and builders that have gone on this podcast. And I know that's one reason like you've been such a big supporter of writing in particular. I'm actually curious, Mert, when I talked to you about like creating content, you actually said that you would prefer writing over doing like a podcast, for example, or doing video content? Why, why do you say that? Because it is very easy to bullshit when you're speaking. And but it's not very easy to bullshit, if even really possible to bullshit when you're writing, because writing really just means thinking, 
right? To write something down, you have to think about it relatively uh, uh, critically, and then you put it down, and then you read it, and then you see, okay, that's what I just said, and you have to now think about it to see if it makes sense. And then depending on how your mind is structured, you have other thoughts that are concepts that are loosely related with that, what you just wrote down, and then your brain produces new stuff, you tie it together, and maybe it doesn't make sense, in which case you make that connection weaker on purpose, or it makes sense, and then you make it stronger, and then now you have flow. And it's also much scarier, because it, which means there's more risk involved, which because once you put something in writing, everybody can see it. Uh, and if people screenshot it, like people like me, then it's there forever, okay? And that's good, because the... Like one of the worst things in society is people having opinions without bearing risk for the opinions they hold. Uh, a perfect example of this is like management consultants who just say like random shit, like, uh, you know, release this product, lay off this person, et cetera. But then they just go to a different company like the next month. They have no idea what they just did. And the problem with that is there's no evolutionary process, right? There is no contact with reality. The way all systems work, like all of them, is there is some action, then there's feedback. And then based on that feedback, you take another action. Okay. Now, if you remove that feedback, which is what happens when you don't have risk, then you're removing yourself from the evolutionary process, which means your ideas are probably going to be pretty shit, or at least uh, not hold contact with reality, which, you know, this kind of goes back to my dislike for being extremely research oriented, which is to say that you should obviously do research and think and be academic and conduct systems and, and, and stuff rigorously, but you can't just skip the much more important part, which is reality, right? Once you ship it, does it work? And uh, somebody who I'm not going to name uh, tweeted something like, uh, something like, uh, how is it possible that Solana doesn't have like a formal verification or something for its like consensus? Are we just blowing balloon party animals here or building the future of crypto or something it was from another blockchain like one of their co-founders and then i, I like reply guide him and i was like maybe if you focus a bit more on shipping you would have more users did you not just have an outage for an entire two days the other month and then he deleted the tweet um and and so com coming back to the original point which is why do i believe in writing is because one it forces you to think more critically and bullshit much less and two it holds you to bear some responsibility for the words you've actually spoken so that it can be corrected by reality and then your thoughts can improve. And if everybody does that, then you're in a place where ideas are getting better over time. And like, there's also the much more smooth brain version of this, which is to say that when I Google something, I want to see fucking results for it from other people instead of just seeing some weird Solana docs that are outdated, right? I want to see Tolly's blog posts, just like, like, you know, Vitalik's blog posts, I honestly think are a key success driver for the entire Ethereum ecosystem. Like imagine the success of Ethereum if he did not write those blog posts and just kind of shit posted on Twitter randomly. Okay. I think Ethereum was obviously still be successful, but I, I'm willing to bet that the blogs have at least helped attract a lot of talent because they see, oh, wait, I agree with this guy. He has good thinking. I'm going to help him. So.
Marius from Camino, I can't remember it off the top of my head, had the funniest line ever in our podcast with him. We were talking about how devs and Ethereum, he's like, I get it. You have the incentive to build an L2 and just build infrastructure. And he's like, you don't have to worry about building an app. He's like, you can just raise VC funds and wait for Vitalik to write his next post. And then like, okay, maybe now it's time to build something. <laughs> and he's like, on Solana, you don't have an excuse because the infrastructure is there. Now, like we talked about earlier, it's not perfect, but like you can actually build applications. You don't just have to build infrastructure. Um, so I think that's really funny. And yeah, I'm a big fan of writing too i want to do more of it I, I do a lot of mine on twitter do you write anything mert that you don't share like do you have blog posts or anything that you write or is everything on twitter that that you put out there yeah i i no no i i have things that i don't share um like generally it's just a way of in a sense sharpening the sword right you, you don't go to battle every day you pr predominantly want to be practicing and i also read uh a good amount one of the things is like, you know, people talk about they, how they want like better vocabularies. And one, one interesting thing is like, if you're on CT long enough, you start picking up the, the terminology of everybody else on CT and everybody starts talking alike. You know, obviously GM is a good example of this, but a lot of other stuff like many such cases and, and, and can devs do something and stuff. But that's an obvious fact. Like it's quite obvious. What's also still obvious what people don't do is if you actually read other books by other smart people, you also get their terminology kind of downloaded. And so now you're able to articulate yourself better. And if you can do that, you can communicate better. And if you can do that, you are now much more dangerous as a person. You can do more things. You can have more impact, influence on decisions that actually matter. And so that is why, and I think I'll be doing this for a while. I've been urging a lot of people in crypto specifically to write more, read more, write again, and then kind of just keep repeating that. It just sounds so obvious. But so many people just don't do it. And I think it's a it's something that's helped me quite a bit, right? So like I'm still the same exact person I was five, six years ago, I would say. The only thing is I just write more now. That's it. Mm. Yeah, I'm no master of, of that at all. I would give tips to people that are looking to get started in this because I remember when I was, it's like, wow, I, I don't have any special insights or ideas to write about. When I first started writing, what I did is I just found old articles in crypto, which is like 2018, 2019, and then I'd almost summarize it and then add my own ideas and update it for what's going on today. And I think that's a really easy way to get started with writing if you think you don't know anything. And now what I do is when I'm just reading on Twitter, or I'm reading a blog post, I'll just make a note or two for something I found interesting. And then I'll kind of like save that on the side. And then eventually it just kind of pops in your head when you see something else. And I put it out on Twitter. I should probably write a blog post so you can actually like think through your stuff. But Twitter is great because you put it out there and you get feedback very quickly. So anyways, I think we've covered the writing bit quite a um, in length. One last thing I'm curious from your end is, you know, we're in 2024 now, it's January. What are you maybe looking forward to in Solana or just crypto over the next year? Like, is there anything like we've talked about the Jupiter airdrop? Is there anything else going on in the ecosystem or that you're working on that you're hoping to see play out? Well, a few things. So one, I would like these teams to launch your tokens, please. <laughs> that <laughs> what do you nice. think is holding these teams back? I mean, besides, I'm sure some it's regulation, but what else would it be? I'm sure it's a case by case basis, but I think like the answers are generally pretty straightforward. So one is probably going to be that they probably don't want to compete with Jupiter because mm, uh, yeah. for attention's sake. Two is obviously going to be regulations and depending on like Laura's move slow and people also generally like to time certain things, which I think is a colossal mistake, which because it's just never going to happen. You're like anybody who thinks they've timed something is 
generally quite wrong. Uh, like Kobe even said this the other day, right? Like I, th- I think everybody saw that weird like uh, Telegram chat that went viral about how he purchased ETF stuff, and then he replied, he's like, actually, I kind of changed my mind on this, and I do that all the time. <laughs> it's it's just it's very easy to look back and say hindsight bias and, and whatnot. So regulation, competition, timing the market, and also. I think it's it's a it, like a token is an irreversible decision, right? Jeff Jeff Bezos has this framework where like you make decisions as fast as you can as long as they're reversible because worst case you just reverse it and do something else. An irreversible decision is a massive gamble. It, it kind of dictates the fate of your company in a sense, right? So I, I can see why these teams are quite slow and and calculated and measured in releasing these tokens because if you release a token wrong there's a very real chance that your company just completely fails. That's pretty, that's pretty messed up, right? It's like going public. Imagine if a company in NASDAQ on the NASDAQ just went public after like nine months, it's like, okay, (laughs) I don't know that that's a very different paradigm shift. And it's like, if you, I mean, we saw this with Starknet, the guy, his family is sick, so he had to step down. And then you have all these airdrop farmers, like giving him death threats. It's like, so you're a startup founder, which is already pretty difficult. You're a startup founder in Solana, which is much more difficult. And then now you're a startup founder on Solana doing a token. That's just impossible because if it goes wrong, even if it goes right, you're going to get a lot of people shitting on you perpetually. Like even Jito's airdrop, I saw, I see comments every now and then in their, in their replies saying like, oh, you know, fuck you guys, scam, whatever. Like it's always like people are just really messed up. And so as a founder, I can definitely empathize with, um, the stress that would go through that. I'm sure they're all losing a lot of hair over it. But, um, you know, at least on the other side of it, we, we do have some ideas of what works last cycle and what didn't work. So I, I do think at least they won't repeat those mistakes. And so, you know, uh, worst case, you just repeat new mistakes that haven't happened before and the ecosystem is better off for it. <laughs> Man, if I was a founder, I, I think you're right. I wouldn't want a token. I just want some like equity investors and then maybe I'll do a 10,000 PFP collection and, and sell that for an equity raise because just dealing with a token and, you know, I really like the the margin fight team, but I can't imagine the heat they're going to take when they finally do decide to release a token because they've had this points system going on for a while and they probably have the biggest degens of all time using their protocol and like all their limits are basically capped out on their protocol. Like you can't even borrow anymore on almost every single asset because just all these people coming in for the point system, it's, it's overloaded. And the reason why they do caps is for a safety purpose. They're not trying to like screw people that want to borrow, but it is definitely mm-hmm. going to be hectic. And that's another reason why Jupiter is a really good example for these other protocols to see and see what happens. I mean, Jito was an advantage that you didn't have a lot of maybe bots. You didn't have a lot of farmers at the time because there hadn't been an airdrop yet. And now every single project that does that is going to have to deal with it. So yeah, it'll be an interesting learning experience. Yeah. Jito timed it. Well, they didn't time it actually. I know for a fact that their philosophy was just launch the fucking token as soon as possible. Um, And that was a good strategy. And I think that is the right strategy because unless you're going to launch in three to four months because you're waiting for the Solana network to be fully, fully, let's say, uh, in the next version due to like the new scheduler upgrades, probably not much is going to change. And so you probably want to pick up momentum because it's a game of momentum in a sense. You know, that's how networks work. There's some critical mass uh, upon which the network is more valuable than each individual thing. And, and so, yeah, it's just very, very, very stressful. I'm not even, uh, like Helios doesn't have a token and I'm already very yeah, when, stressed. When Helios token, 
<laughs> when the Ilias token that. I'll, I'll let my lawyers answer that one. <laughs> I, I just thought of this because we were talking about move earlier. Do you know, so Runtime V2 is coming to Solana and I know there's a number of updates there. Do you know if that's coming in 2024? Because it's going to enable move, I believe, on Solana as well, the programming language. Do you know if that's coming this year? You know, the timelines and scheduling of engineering timelines is not something <laughs> I believe. So my DevRel is actually working on a piece for this right now, which will release uh, at helis.dev slash blog. I don't want to say anything false here. So I think it's best if I kind of comment on this afterwards. I need to look at a few things and see if every everything will be done in like certain batches or if it's going to be sequential. Fair enough. Fair enough. We won't push you too far, Mert. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to cover? before we dive into the last section. Um, One thing I'm going to put in the show notes of this episode that I really liked was the validator economics piece that you guys put out at Helios. I thought that was super informative. And that's actually where I learned about the delegation program from the Solana Foundation. But I'll put that in the show notes because everybody ought to check it out. Because one thing that you hear debated all the time is validator profitability on Solana. And Helios did a deep dive on this. Really, if you're new to Solana, or even if you're not new, go to Helios' blog post. Uh, you'll learn a lot. I go through and I read every single one. So please read that. Mer, I'm assuming you don't actually write any of those, do you? I'm sure you review them, though. I do review them. You can see the author. I, I used to write the early ones, and I just wrote like a recent one on Solana nodes. But I generally save my shit posting for the Twitter and the professionals do the professional blog posts. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, everybody go check that out. Okay. Well, before we close off, I've got two announcements on here one Mert, i was just looking at our past episodes we have 60 episodes recorded it's pretty pretty good oh wow 60 that's crazy <laughs> i didn't 60 man and then we got, I would uh, guess we got like three... 35 or 40 but 60 yeah, sounds wild. no 60 and we got three three next week we actually have a gaming episode that we're recording tomorrow or on thursday that i'm pretty excited about because we haven't really covered that yet um but anyways the announcement that i have is that actually starting next month I'm going to be joining the squads team as head of BD. If you don't know squads, they built the leading multi-sig protocol on Solana and really the SVM in general. Really awesome team. Super excited to join and, and leading that BD effort. Obviously, like being this podcast, I'm deep in the Solana ecosystem, but I'm really excited to get even further into it because I'm going to be dealing with the teams every day that are on Solana, but also hopefully just the SVM in general, because we've talked about this in the past, whether it's Eclipse or an app chain, whatever it might be. Um, excited to, to grow the SVM, but more than anything, really focus on Solana. So anyways, reach out to me about that if you're interested in, in using squads, but I'll be reaching out to you soon. Um, also, in kind of bittersweet news, we've had a lot of success with this podcast so far, over 60 episodes. I think the community we've actually gotten around this podcast has been amazing. It's mm -hmm. been a big part of that. I think Mert's the official influencer of Solana at this point. So it's a good, it's a good claim. <laughs> um, but there's uh, there's even bigger plans for this year and beyond. Like we really want to lean into the community side, maybe some in-person events, and just you know pushing this thing further and this brand further along. And that's going to take a, a full-time quarterback to do that. And because I'm joining squads, unfortunately, I'm going to be stepping away from Lightspeed, which obviously I'm pretty bummed about because I love doing this. Mert, it's been so great doing this with you. Um, but Lightspeed's not going anywhere. Um, Episodes are going to keep churning out. I'm going to be on these episodes until sometime in February, and then we're going to have someone interim fill in. But we're also looking for someone full-time that can be this quarterback. And, you know, you'll be co-hosting, but it's strategy, it's operations. It's going to be a full thing. Because like I said, we've had a pretty big year in 2023, but we're trying to push this thing a lot further. And that's why we need someone to come in and focus on this full-time because it is a full-time job. You saw when I posted my prep for this podcast today, Mert was like, yep, I just spend like two seconds on this and come in. So um <laughs> We're not, all, we're not all gigabrains, Mert. But anyways, guys, I'm sad to leave you guys, but I'm not leaving the Solano ecosystem. 
like I said, I'm going to be part of squad. So I'm still going to be around, hopefully put out some content on the side, whether it's riding. I know Mert, like we talked about earlier, is a really big fan of that. So I would like to put out a lot more riding on my thoughts in Solana and the SVM. If you ever want to jam, hit me up. I'm putting out a tweet today, actually, that's going to say all this as well. So if you want to say what's up on Twitter, do it. But uh, Mert, it's been a lot of fun and I hope we get to collaborate a lot more in the future. It's been an honor, sir. Um... Yeah, the, the reason I'm able to spend two minutes uh, for prep on each episode is because you do all the work. <laughs> and so that's um, a lot a lot of, um, and you do a really good job. And so I think the entire system is very lucky uh, and fortunate that uh, they've got to see these episodes being prepped by such a, such a professional, such a passionate person, and uh, probably even luckier now that uh, one of the best ecosystem teams on Solana, Squads, is absolutely one of my favorite teams. I've said this many times. I'm actually an investor in them as well. So uh, now getting more kind of boots on the ground talent there is a win-win. Okay. So um, if you are watching the show and you enjoy it, uh, make sure to give Garrett a follow on Twitter so you don't miss his uh, hot takes um, uh, too much. And um, yeah, I mean, I think what would be fun is uh, if we if we got squads on the show, in, in a few months and then we got you in step uh that, that'd be pretty cool so yeah thanks for thanks for all the help man yeah thank you man that was, that was really nice i was about to say the same thing excited to be a guest on this show um squads if you don't know squads look them up i'll be posting a lot about them they've been super successful in 2023 it's really hard to find product market fit in crypto i think helios has done a good job of that like you guys kind of have squads is one of those rare protocols as as well as well as jupiter and a few others so i'm ex ex super excited to join get even deeper into the ecosystem um and guys, yeah, I'll be following Lightspeed along, hopefully beyond a few episodes in the future. And uh, anyways, Mart, I think we can probably close this one out. Yes, sir. Thank you, everybody, right, for listening. Hit subscribe, hit follow, <laughs> and we'll see you next time.